0: alrighty praise the Lord this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our uh, journey with Christ to the cross Um, March 31st is uh, Easter Sunday and uh, maybe more importantly Resurrection Sunday Um, we're in John 9 and 10 this week we're taking a uh, chronological look as much as possible. Um, the Gospels, well, the whole Bible is not arranged in a chronological manner, so I thought it would be kind of fun to to take a chronological walk to the cross with Jesus. You'll remember um, the last couple weeks, Uh, Jesus is up in Jerusalem. He had come down from Galilee. He's up in Jerusalem to uh, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Again, you'll remember from previous weeks that his brothers were trying to get him to come down there to the feast, and they kind of wanted him to show off and perform miracles and, and declare himself to be the Son of God, to be the Savior. And he didn't want to go with them. But we find him uh, there teaching. Uh, Later on, he went up there quietly by himself. Today, we're kind of finishing up his last teachings during this feast. And then after this, he makes his way back up north to the home area to Galilee. And then in the coming weeks we'll be looking at that final journey that he took from Galilee down to Jerusalem uh, for that hour that he had come. Remember that phrase: "Is is not my, not yet my hour. Uh, my hour has not yet come." And Jesus uh, is alluding to this eternal plan that the God had put together for. The, He would go down and he would take on the sins of the world and suffer for us, shed his blood for us. And that's that moment that we're working our way up to. So if you're in uh, John chapter nine by now. Last week, we we left off on a high note. Jesus was teaching to the, the Jews and they loved him so much, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and uh, went out of the temple. Of course, you know I'm being a little facetious, but uh, it's hard not to think that way because, you know, we know Jesus is our loving Savior. And and it's just, I don't know, sometimes hard to imagine people could be so against Jesus, even the, even the religious leaders, those who we would think would be for Jesus. All right, verse 1, chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? this, This question was the way that the Jews thought about sin, about um, illness and, and deformity and things like that. So they're asking, Jesus says, the rabbi, the teacher, you know, who sinned? Somebody had to sin for this to happen. Verse three, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is revealing a powerful point here. And and that is that God is all in all. He can work through times of great, in times of sadness, and, you know, those mountaintops and those valleys. But one of the things I pick up out of this uh, particular event is if we don't have trouble, we don't have a testimony. No. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're right. case in point, dear. Right. You're telling us about your troubles that you had And here you are 30 years later. Now you have a testimony. I would say every one of us has this kind of testimony if you think about it. We've gone through troubles, um, things that were out of our control, maybe things that were caused as a reaction to what we were doing and what we were doing wrong. Sometimes it's just flat unpredictable, but we have trouble. We have things that happen to us and God Plans to use that as a testimony. In James, he tells us, count it all joy. You know, clap, be joyful when these troubles come. Why? Because God is using it to perfect our faith so that we can go through future troubles and give all glory to God for the way that we go through our times of trouble with faith, knowing that Jesus is right there with us that this is not permanent, it will pass. We have a future and a hope. Verse five, so Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, (coughs) go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, Sent. So this pool, this is that pool in uh, Jerusalem. Remember the story of the paralytic that was laying by the pool, and Jesus walked up to him and asked if he wanted to be healed. And, and he said, "Well, I, you know, nobody's. Everybody gets in there ahead of me. I can't get in there fast enough. They beat me to it." And there was this tradition that uh, whenever they saw the waters ripple, it was an angel rippling in water. Whoever's first in the water is the one that got healed. And that's the same pool that we're talking about. I tell them go wash in that pool. Remember last week or the week before we talked? It was the week before, where in the in the Feast of Tabernacles on the eighth day, when uh, the priests would be bringing their pitchers that were supposed to be full of water, but that day it was empty. It was the tradition, but um, they would go get that water. They would fill up the pitchers from that pool to bring to the temple to pour out into that great basin. So this this pool is um, just really the center of Jewish tradition. So he went away and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, how many of us would find ourselves with that kind of faith? Remember, this guy cannot see who is talking to him. He can't see the guy's name tag that says, I'm Jesus. (laughs) And yet he hears, but he's hearing with spiritual ears. And in faith, he goes and washes. And I think we're forgetting that, well, how did he get to the pool? Somebody had to kind of guide him there or somehow he figured out how to get to that pool. This guy had great faith. Verse eight, therefore the neighbor, well, I I missed another point. He came back, see. He didn't run off, but he came back, see. And therefore the neighbors and those who had previously seen him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one that used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, 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 but he is like him. And he kept saying, no, no, I'm the one. It was me. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? <coughs> and he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. <laughs> 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And that was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. And I washed and I see." Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So in this this whole time that Jesus is at the feast and he's talking with the Jews, they are doubting him. They are rejecting him. They are not hearing him say that he is God, that he is the Messiah. Here he's saying he's the light of the world. (coughs) And they're using the rules from the Mosaic Law about the Sabbath. But they have twisted the premise of the Sabbath such that they were using it against (laughs) the one who created the Sabbath, the one who we should be worshiping on the Sabbath, and they're saying, no, no, he can't be a man from God because he's not obeying the Sabbath properly. But Jesus, we we see a lot of times as we read through the Gospels that Jesus did so many things intentionally on the Sabbath to show to the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man, that it's supposed to be a time a blessing and joy for us. In fact, where else and when else should we go to receive sight? To be healed? Shouldn't we come to church on the Sabbath day and expect to be healed? Expect to be able to see. There's, a, there's an allegory in here that, just as we sang in the song, we were once blind. But now we see. Before you come to Christ, you are blind. You are spiritually blind. And then when Jesus introduces himself to you through the Holy Spirit, your eyes are open and you can see. And what a greater, what better day can there be for that to happen than on the day where you're at church? But others were saying, I'm finishing up 16, how can a man who was a sinner perform these signs? (coughs) And there was a division among them. (coughs) So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So we see a a faith transition, a quick one in this, A blind man, he's coming to understand who this man Jesus is. He's still not all the way there, though. Yes, Jesus is a prophet, but he's way more than that. 18, the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received this sight. And questioned him, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? But now he sees. I, I missed a sentence, didn't I? His parents answered them and said, I'm in 20. We know that this is our son. Yep, we know that. And then he was born blind. We know that. But now how he sees, we do not know. Or opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. Heaven help us. Um, being afraid of the Jews, the religious leaders, the followers of the law. You know, is Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians, you know, we can know all things. We can know all the the Bible frontwards and backwards. And we can know all the words to the song. We can know all the rituals. We can be the best, most holy prayer around. But if we have not love, we are nothing. And that's what we see in these Pharisees. They did not have love for the people that they were supposed to be shepherding. They did not have love. So his parents were afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue. Well, that was worse than, you know, today if you get thrown out of church, you kind of walk around, no big deal, but Ten others in town, or I do not want to go to that stupid church anyway, or ah, that church is a cult. Like us? Yeah. <laughs> but in that day, when you're thrown out of the synagogue, you know, it's a very small community, and you, you are shunned. I mean, everybody there, almost everybody is Jewish. And everything that happens, you know, you have a, a business and you make or sell things or you farm and you sell things. If you're thrown out of the synagogue, chances are people are not going to buy from you. So it's it's more than just getting thrown out of church. I mean, it, it can affect your whole family, your whole living. Uh, it was a big deal. They were afraid to be thrown out. So 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And, you know, this this man was brave. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already. (laughs) And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, do you too? And and that was uh, kind of a uh, taunt back at them. You know, he, he knew that they were, Hearts were hard. If they didn't want to believe. They looked down on the followers of Jesus, in fact, wanted to kill him. But now he's thrown them back. Ah, oh, maybe you want to become a believer. 28. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Again. They refused to acknowledge where Jesus was from. Remember, in the last couple weeks, we looked at the scripture where (laughs) they were saying, He can't be the Messiah because He's not from David's city, Bethlehem. And yet we all know that He was born in Bethlehem. And they refused to acknowledge that. Here they are doing it again. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he hears him. So again, this is what was taught in Judaism, and yet we live in the age of grace. We live in the age where the Holy Spirit is alive himself and in the world, but he's also dwelling individually in each one of us that's born again. And I ask you, does God Listen to sinners. Yes. This is... <laughs> yes. um, you know, I think this is a, a, a bigger question and discussion than uh, we might initially think. So we know that God is sovereign, he's supreme, that he's everywhere, he knows all things, he's got all power, right? We know that God has the ability to hear everyone talking and he, believe it or not, sees everything we're doing, even when we're doing the things we shouldn't be doing. So does he hear sinners? Well, I think without a doubt, I think we would all agree that when a sinner cries out to God for help, uh, for salvation, (coughs) for... um, You know, wanting to know him. Yes, he here. But even we know that God was working in and around our lives before we came to Christ, wasn't he? Um, So somehow he knew, he was hearing. In fact, the Bible says he hears and knows what we're going to say before we even say it. But I think what the God here is um, trying to bring out is well here's a guy this Jesus he performed a miracle and it was a good thing and it was um, him doing it so how could he not be from God and yet do these things well we know too that there are um, false miracles and preachers and we also know that God can even perform miracles through people that aren't following him. I mean, we've we've read that happen. But the, the bottom line is, who gets credit? Who is the one at work? And when we say something that doesn't make sense, we want to be asking God, where are you at in this? What is it you're trying to show me? Not... Uh, honoring and lifting up that person that did the miracle that God worked through, whether they're a believer or not a believer. But I don't think we can go so far as to think, I can live however I want. It doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter if I'm really good at, at my sin because I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter. We can't go that far. That is not what God wants. God is supreme, and he'll make his own decisions. But we want to do things and live in such a way that it gives God the glory that is due his name. And if we fail, if we mess up, if we sin, he still loves us. We can repent, and he will forgive us our sins. Got off a little bit of a rabbit trail there. Verse 32, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you teaching us? Boy, that's arrogance, isn't it? We, We see the same arrogance from the Jews towards Jesus. You know, putting him down, uh, claiming that he wasn't educated, that he wasn't educated in the things that they were. And I think we, as we read this, uh, hopefully we're getting a, a, a word from God, a warning, a message that we need to make sure we're not arrogant towards others. And it's hard sometimes. We know the word. And we have somebody attacking us or somebody you know, that's not a believer or somebody maybe that is, and they're trying to um, tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. And yet, you know, we're saying exactly what the Bible says. How do we respond? Our first inclination, I'm sure, is to be arrogant like these guys No, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I've been saved for 30 years. I've gone to Bible college. You're wrong. It's It's a tough challenge. But we have to have humility and grace. These people, the Jews, didn't. In fact, they used it as a weapon against this man that had been healed. This man that had been healed has more of a testimony than anyone around him. He experienced it firsthand, and he's sharing it. And people should be joyful with him, rejoicing with him. 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. In finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So he's, notice the question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It wasn't. Have you changed your life entirely? Have you quit sinning? Have you quit doing this? Quit going there? No. Do you believe in the Son of Man? This guy had only been healed for a very short time. We were talking about the same day. Do you believe? And that should be the question and answer that's going on in us when we um, encounter Jesus, when we encounter miracles, When we encounter answers to our prayers, do you believe in the Son of Man? Yes, I do. 36, he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So this guy was so transparent. He was so open. He was humble. He was seeking. He wanted to believe. He just needed to know who he was. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. Remember, this is the blind guy. You have seen him. This guy never heard this before because he could never see before, but you have both seen him and he is the one talking with you. 38, and he said, Lord, I believe. (coughs) And he worshiped him. He worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Huh? Something backwards here, Jesus. He came into the world for judgment. So we have have to interpret and understand that statement in the context of the rest of the Bible. Uh, He did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save them but judgment will come. And we also have to judge and measure ourselves. Are we, are we a sinner? You know, do we, do we need to be saved? Do we need to believe upon the Lord Jesus? And what Jesus is saying is, I came for the world. And at this point, you know, he was still working up towards that day of the resurrection, the day of the crucifixion, the day of the beating. And he said, I came so that those who do not see, might see. This is a phrase, an expression, that those who do not believe, they do not have spiritual sight, to see that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Lord, can see. That's what's so amazing about this song, Amazing Grace. You know, Once blind, but now I see. The person that wrote that song, and Jesus talking about here, We all have physical sight. But we start without having spiritual sight and we're born again and now we can see. We have spiritual eyes. And those who see may become blind. That just seems really out there. So the, if we read down the next couple verses, it kind of, Elaborates on that a little bit. It kind of opens it up for us. So verse 40. Those are the Pharisees who were with him, heard these things, and they said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What he's saying is, you, you know the law you know the scriptures, you know the prophecy of the Messiah to come, you should know that I'm the Messiah. But you don't. And if you were blind like this this man that just had a sight given to him, you would have no sin. And, And the context of that is you would have no guilt over your sin. In other words, um if they if they could see properly they would feel guilt over their sin and confess and repent. And Jesus is pointing that out to them. They understand what he's saying. And the same with us. When we came to Christ saying that he's Lord God and he's our savior We had to understand that we had sin in our lives, that we were sinning, that we needed a Savior. The only way that we would get rid of our our sin was by believing on the Son of Man, Jesus. He says, since you say, we see, your sin remains. They had physical sight, but they refused to believe, the blind man believed mm-hmm. and he gained his physical sight Amen. along with his spiritual sight, does that, that make sense? I mean, yes. Jesus kind of makes it go backwards and forwards a little bit here, but um, I think Jesus brings this uh, event out in the open and uses it as a teaching moment not only for everybody there that was within the hearing distance, but for us too reading it later. The, the, the sin clearly was simply unbelief, unbelief. And that's, that's a sin that you can't be forgiven of. Because if you don't believe and you stay not believing, You don't have a Savior to forgive your sin. You have to confess, okay, God, I wasn't believing in you, and now I am, and I want to know you. And you become a believer, and then all of your sins are forgiven. Okay, I want to touch into um, chapter 10. So last week we talked, and the week before we've been talking about this little graph um, you'll remember how we have this one bubble belief and one bubble truth, and wherever they overlap, that's where knowledge is. And out of knowledge comes wisdom. But we have truth over here. If you don't have truth, you won't have sight. You won't be able to see. And if you can't, if you don't have truth, and you can't see. You are not going to have freedom. Jesus said that He is the one that sets us free, free from sin. Free from bondage, free from fear. <clears throat> he is the one that sets us free. So you see, in this day and age where we refuse to acknowledge Jesus as truth and we have only belief, then we can say, well, I can believe in anything and that's my truth. But that's not really truth, and you won't be set free. righty, chapter 10. We're just going to read part of chapter 10. So you'll get out here before four. (laughs) Pan accepts it. Oh no, he's starting another chapter. All right, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But wait a minute, Jesus. I've heard it said that there's many ways, many different ways to heaven. Oh, just one more statement by Jesus himself. There's only one way. He is the way. He is the door. He is the door. You don't get into the, the building. You don't get into the castle. You don't get into the kingdom except going through that door. And he's that door. That's a great illustration, so simple. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow but will flee from them because they do not know the voice of the strangers. So this, we, they understood what Jesus was talking about. You know, many of them were shepherds. Many of them knew shepherds. Many of them, you know, they lived in among around sheep, and they knew that sheep didn't have the best eyesight. And the sheep would follow the one who had been taking care of them, the one who uh, was feeding them. Uh, I, Denise and Adrian have had horses forever, and we, get to, and we had a cow, Maggie the cow. And, and these ladies could be all the way across a field, and they could call their horse or their cow or the goat or whatever, and they come running up to them like a dog because they know the voice, and they know the voice means something good, something, this food. And the same with the sheep. They do that too. They, they follow the shepherd because they recognize his voice. And if, if another shepherd comes in and calls them, they won't follow him because they don't recognize the voice. Six. Uh, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this phrase, I am, seven different times. You know, I'm the door, I'm the light, I'm the way, the truth. I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. That's the transaction. We enter through Christ as the door, and we will be saved. We can't go around a different way. We can't find a different door. And we have that hope and that expectation, that belief, that faith, that if we go through that door, Jesus being that door, we will be saved. We don't cozy up to the door and say, hmm, I wonder if this is actually going to work. I wonder if this will happen. Verse 10. Well, I didn't finish verse 9. And he will go in and out and find pasture. 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So that's Satan. He goes only to kill and, and destroy. To steal. He wants to steal your joy. He wants you to be miserable. If you're miserable, you're right where Satan wants you to be. The thief comes, only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus is not afraid of the devil. Jesus died for us. Um, They understand this, that a good shepherd is going to fight to the death to protect his sheep. He's going to, you know, remember David, um, as a young man, King David was a young man. He would fight off bears and lions to protect the sheep. So he was demonstrating the heart in the care of a shepherd for the sheep. He didn't run away. 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. This is a convicting verse for anyone that ascribes to be a pastor or shepherd. Um, They cannot flee in the face of trouble. They cannot hide away and fold up when Satan is attacking the church or the people in the church. We should expect the pastor, the shepherd, to take the beating on our behalf. We should expect him to protect us, to defend us. To try to help us out, to try to save us. And if that Pastor Shepherd isn't doing that, he's a hired hand. He he is not willing to put his life down for the sheep. And he will flee. And Jesus pointing out, you know, I'm going to take the beating for you. I am not going to flee. I am not going to find a way to get out of this hour that is to come and and run away and hide away. 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will come. Become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So Jesus is saying, he voluntarily lays down his life for us. Um, The people yelling crucify him, the... The people, you know, Caiaphas and Pilate, holding this trial, they they didn't take it from Jesus. He willingly laid it down. You know, he he knew that physically he could have gotten out of there, but he didn't. He, He voluntarily laid it down for us. In fact, he says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. How did everybody respond to this? Well, it says in verse 19, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. They loved us so much, they were saying, he has a demon and he's insane. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So we see the opposing reactions towards Jesus. And the question comes down to, what about us? Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say that he is? In uh, Romans 10, we're talking about how we hear the voice of the shepherd, how we hear the voice of Jesus. And Romans 10:17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the words of Christ. Now that we've looked at this uh, story about the man who was born blind, that had his eyes anointed, who went and washed in the pool of Siloam, this, this uh, scripture, Romans 10:17, makes a little more sense to us, doesn't it? He heard the words of Christ and he followed him. and he was here, he gained his sight. All right, well, praise God. Let's gather around and pray for one another.